Well, good evening. Good to see you all out here. We're uh, excited about Passion Week. How many of you guys are ready for Passion Week? It's coming up. Yeah. We're going to kick off a little earlier this year on Friday night with our Taste of Israel. Um, the food will be amazing, the fun, the fellowship, all that good stuff. So I encourage you, if you haven't get s yet signed up, please sign up. It's coming up real quick. And then um, we have flyers and we have a QR code on all of our social media platforms as well. Spread the word. Let everybody know what uh, services we're going to be having all next week. And, um, you know, Passion Week and Easter uh, seem to be a time that a lot of people just come back to church or decide to check out a church. And um, we commonly see a lot of people give their life to the Lord. So... Uh, be prayed up and, and, and get the word out. We'll see what God, God does with that. Um, we're going to be going through uh, the book of Matthew beginning uh, the Wednesday night uh, after Easter. And um, the, the focal point uh, of all of that really is, um, you know, the Lord is putting, I think, things on our heart. And, and we pray, we talk, we have meetings, we we. we, we what does God want to do with Wednesday nights? Um, I think about midweek services, and I think back to um, actually it's 35 years now where I would sit on the, the floor or sit in a chair, um, meet at a park, uh, in warehouses. I can think of all these various settings that, we've, uh, that the Lord's provided for us. Um, for people that just wanted uh, a Bible study in the middle of the week, we started our church with that. Uh, emphasis and um, God has uh, honored it. We've seen this place fill up at times. We've seen it uh, not fill up at times. Um, there's been an interest in midweek studies uh, in different seasons, and then there's been not a lot of interest in midweek studies in different seasons. And we're not quite sure what God has in store. We just want to be uh, available, and we felt that it was a good time uh, following the last three years of just what do you even call it, wonking us, just weird uh, people trying to find their footing again. Um, and we thought it'd be good just to, to huddle around the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we talked about a, a, a few different books, um, but we thought ultimately just focusing on Jesus. Um, and the book of Matthew, of course, focuses on him as being king. We thought that would be a good topic, you know? I mean, our king is coming back, Amen. And um, there, there are a lot of new people that, are, uh, that come on Sunday mornings. I'm getting to know a lot of them, and a lot of, maybe some of you are some of that. Uh, but a lot of them are coming from uh, backgrounds. They're, they're not churched, uh, or they're coming from churches that, that don't do services in the middle of the week. And so um, we're not sure how God's going to tie all that together, uh, but what he's going to do. But we're also... Um, we've made a couple of announcements, and, and if you have a heart for Wednesday nights, as we have uh, with youth ministry, uh, children's ministry, the Awana program, um, the food that we like to serve before, or even after services, throughout uh, spring and summer and into fall, uh, the baptisms, there's a lot of different activities that um, do draw people and, and, and the studies, uh, but call the church office and say, I have a heart for that. I'd like to help out. How can I help out? Um, that would be huge as well. 
Um, as we go through the book of Matthew, we're going to um, teach for a series of weeks, and we're going to break apart the men and the women as we've done in the past and continue uh, our studies through uh, There's No Reason to Hide by Erwin Lutzer with the guys, and the girls are going through actually a study on the life of Christ to the Old Testament, or what is it? They're going through the book of James. <laughs> I knew that. Um, so practical Christian living, it's going to be a great, I'm sure it's a great time. Uh, but, uh, and then we'll, then we'll, we'll come back together and, and we're going to still continue our, our 242 roundtables at the beginning of each month uh, to kick off our time. And um, we'll just see what God, what God does. We've, we've always been excited about just opening the doors and allowing people to come in and encounter Jesus and uh, worship him. Um, aren't, you, aren't you blessed at the worship we have here? It's a good, uh, not just the, the, the talent that, um, that God has here, but, the, but you guys worship. I mean, this would just be a concert if you guys weren't worshiping, you know, or it'd be the people up here worshiping the Lord and you'd be staring at them. So there's a good uh, worship culture here, and um, we're grateful for that. And uh, we're going to, uh, not tonight, but in a couple of weeks, we're going to add a little extended worship on the end of our studies. So um, that'll be exciting. And we're going to have different guys coming and breaking part, apart the book of uh, Matthew as well. I've asked uh, Randy, our historian, uh, to kick off the book of Matthew, going through the genealogies. Um, he is a detail guy. He's a research guy. Uh, he was, and if Randy's here, I don't want to talk too much about Randy unless he's not here. But um, he was like, are you sure? That, that's a tough assignment, you know, kind of thing, kind of joking. Uh, but once he does his research, he gets pretty excited about it. And then he kind of corners me. Look at what I've learned already. So uh, in a couple of weeks, I, I can rest you assured you're going to know uh, the ins and outs about the genealogies of, uh, or genealogy of Jesus and the significance of that talk a little bit about that tonight, but um, then we're just going to move through um, the book of Matthew. So I want to do a little bit of a, a survey tonight and, and give a, a backdrop, if you will, and set the stage, whet the appetite. Um, so if you want to pull out your pen, your paper, turn your, uh, your Bibles over to the book of Matthew. Um, All of the, um, the gospel writers, of course, um, come at the life of Christ with um, a little bit of a different perspective. Matthew, as we said, presents him as a, as a king. Um, Mark presents Jesus as, as a, a servant, um, the humble servant who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom uh, for many. And Luke, being a doctor, he emphasizes the humanity of uh, Jesus, and John emphasizes the deity of Jesus, and uh, Matthew here, there's just this focus on um, him being a king. If you're like taking notes, a couple of key verses, Matthew 2, verse 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, we know this around Christmas time, wise men from the east come to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who was born King of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to uh, worship him. And then another key verse that focuses on Jesus as king is in chapter 4, where Jesus begins his ministry. And um, it's, 
Following that time that Jesus heard that John had been thrown into prison, and um, he departs from the north, from Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, and he comes and he, he dwells in this one city by the name of Capernaum, and that's where um, he does most of his ministry for three and a half years. Um, but while he was there, um, it says, time was fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the, the Jordan, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, speaking of him, and upon those who sat in the region, a shadow of death, light has dawned. And then it says in verse 7, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, the book of Matthew is, is, is called the bridge. Many scholars refer to it as the bridge builder. It builds a bridge um, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, the word fulfilled, uh, Matthew will um, either preface something that is about to happen or following something that Jesus does that is significant, he'll say, in order that it might be fulfilled. And he says that about 15 to 16 times. Um, and then he has uh, quotes from the Old Testament uh, upwards to about 130 times. And again, one of the, the, the purposes of the Gospel of Matthew is to show that Jesus uh, fulfilled the Old Testament um, promises um, concerning him as the promised Messiah. If you were to look at the theme of the Old Testament, um, it's really given to us in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And so the, the, the beginning, the Old Testament really begins with Adam, and then it's, it's the story of his line, um, of his family. And it's a rather sad history, really. Um, God created man in his own image. There was the fall, mankind, man's sin. Um, man brought forth, you know, children um, in his own likeness, of course, after his own image. They were born with sinful uh, nature. Um, they were sinners just like their parents. And so the Old Testament is all about really that, from the beginning kind of moving forward. Um, but as you move into the New Testament, um, Matthew being that, that first book that we begin to open up, um, it's the book of the generation, if you will, of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 begins that. Um, Paul would call Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, the last Adam. And um, the idea is that he came to earth to save the generations after Adam. And that includes you and me. Can I hear an amen? amen. Yes. And so... You read through the genealogy of Genesis 5, and it's, it's line after line giving you family after family, but at the end of each generation, it would say, and he died. And so the Old Testament illustrates that truth that we read about in the book of Romans, that there is a wage to sin. The wages of sin is absolutely death. But when we turn to the New Testament... The, the first genealogy here emphasizes birth, not death. 
The message of the New Testament is the gift of life, the gift of Jesus that God uh, has given in his son to mankind. And so the Old Testament, you might say, is a book of promise, but all of the promises are pointing to Jesus. And the New Testament is the fulfillment of those promises that point uh, to Jesus. The message of the kingdom, a message that was first stated in the book of Matthew by John the Baptist, um, a message that was repeated when Jesus begins his ministry. He will focus on that message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's an interesting message that he even commissions or uh, requires the, the, the disciples themselves to take forward. We'll read about that when you get to Matthew chapter 10. But as we look at that kingdom, um, he's not talking about a physical, literal kingdom, although he will establish uh, yet in our future the physical, literal kingdom of God. We'll get to that in Revelation chapter 19. Uh, but as he's walking on earth and he's repeating what John was repeating, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's talking about something that is spiritual. And, and, and we, we've, we've talked a lot about that uh, over the years um, where is the kingdom of God? Well, wherever the king reigns. And I like to do it this way. Raise your hand if you're born again. All right. Well, he reign, he, he, he's in you. He abides in you. And as he is Lord, he is ruling and reigning in your heart. And wherever the king reigns, there is his kingdom. His kingdom is in you. It's spiritual. And you are in his, his kingdom. And so when he, he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's the king is inviting people to receive him, to know him, to understand him, um, to be part of his kingdom. And we'll go through um, the Sermon on the Mount uh, in chapters 5 through 7. And, and it's, it's almost like um, uh, the constitution, if you will, for a Christian. It, it's the, here's what it's like to live your life following the king. Um, so it's all about the king. It's all about... Um, his kingdom. If you'd like to read about um, Matthew himself, and he uh, in chapter 9 talks about when he first met Jesus, I think we can uh, relate to this message. He was someone that was, um, well, of course, he wasn't a, a follower until he met Jesus, but um, he was somebody that society looked down upon um, because he was a tax collector. Um, I don't know if any of you guys are following the Chosen series. Lori and I, uh, we'll, we can't just watch one. It's almost like eating popcorn. You can't just have one piece of popcorn. Popcorn and the Chosen goes together pretty well as well. But the Chosen series, I believe, has done a very accurate uh, depiction of um, the, the life of Christ. And um, I think there's a, there's a couple of good sections in there where you can really kind of get an idea of what it was like to be a tax collector, how his own parents would have viewed him, how um, the Jewish culture would have viewed him. Um, but the one that is the depiction of an outcast and, and one that people would be repulsed by and turned away from, um, Jesus is drawn to. And, and, um, and Matthew not only opens up his heart uh, to Jesus, but he opens up his, his own house and he opens up his life 
and um, becomes a follower. And Jesus, of course, uh, uses him in a very, very uh, fascinating way. Um, uh, let me move through some of this because I want to give some time to, to pray at the end of this and also have, have some time to... I've got a water right here that I haven't not drank from. Here you go, Joe. One, two, three. You got it? All right, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm on a giving mood, so... All right. All right. Well, let, let's, let's talk real quick about the genealogy. I, I'm gonna, Randy's going to dig into this, but I just think um, this is important. Um, the focus is on life, and the focus is on the significance of this incredible birth. Genealogies were very important uh, to the Jews. Um, without them, they could not um, prove their uh, ancestry, of course, but even their tribal membership or their rights to um, inheritance. And so anybody who would uh, claim to be the Messiah would also make the claim, uh, would, would take the claim of titles that were assigned to the Messiah. Um, so the son of man, the son of David, these kind of claims. And so as we go through the genealogy of Jesus, um, it, it, it shows that. It shows that he is... An actual figure. It shows him that, that he has an actual history, um, that he is of Jewish uh, ancestry, uh, Jewish history. Um, his genealogy, Matthew's genealogy, points out that um, Joseph himself, as we go through this, did not beget Jesus. Joseph was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, um, who is called the Christ. And so there's, a, there's an, a, almost a jaw-dropping moment, moment as you go through the, the genealogies and you're like, what is this saying? And we, of course, uh, know as we go through chapter 2 that the virgin conceives and she, is, uh, she gives birth uh, as a virgin to, to Jesus. So even in this genealogy, we go through that and we're like, wow, it, it, it gives evidence. It supports the idea of a... Um, virgin birth. It shows that this king uh, was born um, as eternal God. It shows that he existed before Mary and Joseph or any of his earthly ancestors. Um, in chapter 2, as we kind of move through the book, and again, this is just a quick uh, summary. Um, there's things to be excited about as we go through the book of Matthew, but we're not going to camp out on too many of them. But um, we go through his birth, and immediately it's like, all right, we, we see something significant about his genealogy, a lot of significant things. Um, and then we get right into the birth. Okay, he, he's born, and it is a miraculous conception, and this amazing birth. And, and there'll be details that we'll dig out and talk about surrounding his birth, and it won't be December, around December 25th. It's going to be amazing. Sometime in the spring, we're going to go through the birth of Jesus Christ. First time in 35 years, but we've ever done it in the spring. Um, but it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be exciting. Um, but then in chapter 2, there's the wise men. And remember, the wise men come. And again, where is he 
who was born king of the Jews. And, and right away there's that focus on um, his being a king. And then um, following that, there's the flight uh, of Joseph and Mary taking Jesus to Egypt, um, Herod killing all of the male children um, in the surrounding regions two years and, and under, and of course they would, they would, be, they would, they would, they would flee. Um, Matthew would begin to talk about Jesus, and um, he, would, he would begin to talk about, a, a, like, what, what were the principles that he stood on? What were the principles that he said his followers would stand on? He's a principled man. Um, we get right into that in chapter 5, going into this, uh, you know, the Sermon on the mount. When he goes up to a mountain and when he was seated with his disciples, he opens his mouth and he taught them um, in about six, I don't know, in a few weeks we're going to be in Israel. And one of the highlights for me uh, when we first get there, I, I like going up north. Um, it's lush, it's green. Once you come down from the Galilee, it's, uh, it's barren and it's desert-like. Um, but when we're up north, it's, it's the Sea of Galilee, it's exciting, and there's a lot of ministry that he did in that area. And so our, our, um, our tours are very, they're, they're, they're rich in both Old and New Testament, but when you get up into the Galilee, oh man, it's exciting just to follow um, the footsteps of Jesus up there. And we'll, we'll go to an area where, as you look at the, um, just the, typo- the, 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 the typography there, around the Sea of Galilee, there is an area that um, you would go, that, that's where, if you had a large crowd and that's where you wanted to really teach, that's where you would go. And, uh, and it's, there, there's nothing like looking at our group, it's, you know, we, we've been there for about a day or two, and we walk down these hills and we're kind of trying to get into the mustard seed plants, and it's usually lush in the springtime, we're going to be there a little after spring, but... Uh, and just open our Bibles, and I'll look around, and I'll say, you know, Wayne, take 10 people and go over there, and Francis, I'll take 10 people and go over there, and, and, and we get several groups, and I say, just, just read this account. Just, just out loud, look around, everybody take it in, and think of what he's saying. If you were following him, and he was just walking with you, and he just stopped. He wasn't reading out of a scroll. This was like, the word of God. He was looking in your eyes. And he was he's basically going, look, if you want to be successful in following me, this is what it's all about. And he would start with the Beatitudes. And it just, you know, kind of blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, th- those people that have realized what, what spiritual depravity is all about. Blessed are those people because theirs is the kingdom of of God. You know, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those people who are broken, who have the right response in being honest to their spiritual plight, that they realize that they're sinners and that they have sinful nature. And imagine just sitting down with him and he's just breaking this stuff down, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. And in their their, their minds, they would understand the breakdown. And if he's speaking more than likely Aramaic, but rich languages or those that would hear that in the Greek 
down the road, the, the Greek word praus. You know, blessed are those, meekness is not weakness, it's power constrained. The, the word praus was used for, a, for a, like a wild stallion. You catch a wild stallion and it's completely, I always say, unapproachable, untouchable, and unusable. And, and once Jesus, he breaks us, or we're broken before him, now we become approachable and touchable and usable for they shall inherit the earth. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness sake. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting after him and the righteousness that he is and the righteousness that he provides. Again, many have labeled the Sermon on the Mount as the constitution to the kingdom that Jesus says is at hand. It's just going through and describing the character that we should have today as believers in the world. And then the, that, that amazing sermon as he gets to the end of it there in chapter 7. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. And the rain descends and the floods come and the winds blow and they beat on that house but it did not fall, for it was founded on a rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them, he's going to be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain descends and the floods come and the winds blow and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was it fall. And at the end of that, Matthew says, and so it was when Jesus ended these things. That the people, the disciples right there and, and, and a massive crowd, they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And I think, not to keep throwing a pitch here for the chosen, but I, I really feel they've done a great job with that, that series, by the way, of, um, of representing the humanity of Jesus and the authority um, of Jesus as, as he, the way he speaks um, the scriptures that we might even have memorized, but to just put that in the context of just walking with him and having him look you in the eye and just break down these amazing um, truths, I believe you would be just taken back, um, not by just his memory, but by the life that he was speaking um, into your life. And that's what I hope happens as we go through um, the book of Matthew. Then you move out of chapter 7 and you move into chapters um, 8 through 9. And there really seems to be an emphasis on the power of the king. Um, there's a series of miracles that um, uh, Matthew uh, puts together. And he's the one um, particular gospel writer that does not put the miracles in a chronological order. Um, scholars get all dizzy about that and why he didn't do that and why he should have done that or shouldn't have done that. Um, it, it's, it's more like if you look at, at the things that he did, does, he kind of lumps these healings together. Then he lumps some supernatural things that he did together, like walking on the water versus healing somebody and whatnot. But um, th that'll kind of stand out as we're going through chapters 8 um, through 10. It starts off in chapter 8 with him healing um, a satyrian slave there in uh, Capernaum. And then it just says after that, that he heals all kinds of sick people and all kinds of 
um, diseases. Um, he will heal um, the fever of uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law gets very sick um, in chapter 8, and he uh, heals her of her fever. How many of you have ever prayed and just asked the Lord, take away this cold, take away this flu, take away this thing, and you're like, it's gone. You ever done that? I've done that many times. Okay, keep your hands up. I just want to know if we're like, because he's watching too. Maybe the next time you're praying, he's like, you won't even give me glory. All right. I can tell you this week, there was a time when I just had a couple of difficult days, and I, I had someone pray, and it was interesting because as they were praying for me, they didn't know exactly what I was going through, and they prayed something very specific, and it happened. And I wonder what that would be like to walk with Jesus. And, and you know, it's Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, I'm not going to go down the mother-in-law joke thing, but it's his mother-in-law. And, and it's great that he's sympathetic towards his mother-in-law, and, and and, and just to have that little faith-building thing that someone's like really got a fever, then he comes in and he's like, and it's gone. As we travel through um, on that part uh, uh, of Capernaum, um, there's a, an area that they believe was that house and whatnot. And as we take our tours, many, of, um, many people build churches on those sites and whatnot. It kind of takes away from um, the site. But anyway, that happens. Um, um, he heals the sick and the demon-possessed. Um, he cleanses the man, uh, a man of leprosy in chapter 8. He heals a paralytic. You know the story, the, the guys bring their friend that's paralyzed. Jesus is ministering um, in his hometown, and they, uh, he's in a house, and uh, they can't get in, so they go up on the roof and tear the roof apart, and they lower their buddy in, and Jesus um, heals him, um, and then even uh, forgives him of his sin. Um, he heals the woman with an issue of blood in chapter 9. Um, there's a couple of blind men that he heals in chapter 9. Another demon-possessed man and a mute in chapter 9. Um, chapter 8, there's a whole calming of the sea part um, as well. And then just about the time where you're like, man, who wouldn't want to hang out with this guy? Who wouldn't want to be hanging on to every word that he says? You move out of chapter 10 into chapter 11, and he begins to be um, challenged. Um, even uh, John the Baptist, um, there's this whole like rejection of him and mistreatment of John the Baptist, and, and that is aimed at Jesus um, as well. It says that he began to rebuke even the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because people were not repenting. Um, his works were denied. The Pharisees in chapter 12 um, began to challenge Jesus. Um, and, and they try to catch him. Um, his disciples would be walking along and eating grain. Uh, just kind of plucking the grain as they go. They're hungry. They're traveling. They're walking the sky. And he doesn't slow down. And it's on the Sabbath. And these, these, these religious leaders happen to see it, some of them, and they lose their minds uh, over that. And Jesus will also, in, in chapters 14 and 15, he'll, he'll heal people on the Sabbath. Um, and it'll say, then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. And then when Jesus saw that, they, um, you know, they withdrew from, or he withdrew from them. Um, in chapter 12, some of the scribes and Pharisees 
will say to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered them and says, like hey, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign is going to be given to you guys except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he ties that, <laughs> that three days and three nights that Jonah was in the belly of the well to what he is about to experience when um, he's crucified and will be in the grave. Um, and he says, no sign will be given unto you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the well... So, and notice what he says, the Son of Man, claiming that Messianic title, will be three days and three nights in the heart um, of, of, uh, of the earth. Chapter 13, he begins to, to talk about the mysteries of the kingdom. And um, that, the, the kingdom parables, he began to talk about um, the parable of the soils. The sower went out to soil, uh, to sow seed, you guys know that the seed represents the word of God and there's four types of soil um, there's the the path the hardened heart um, there's the um, shallow soil the rocks in it that represents the the heart that readily receives but there's no depth and the first kind of wind that comes along just blows that plant away um, and then there's the the soil that has the the the, the thorns and whatnot in it um, and it talks about how um, that thorny bush, if you will, would come in and choke out the seed of God. And, and Jesus says that's like the, the person um, that's really caught up in the cares of the world. We could have a Bible study like this and the word of God is coming in. We walk out of here and we just forget um, what was planted in us. And all of a sudden the world could be material things, materialism. It could be just... Uh, an affection for the things of the world it begins to crowd in and choke out um, what God has planted. But then there's the, the, the good soil, and that's the, a picture of the receptive heart. Uh, and then there's fruit that comes from that, uh, that, that, that person, that heart that receives uh, God's word. But there's the, the parable of soul, the soils, the parable of the, the, the tares, the mustard seed, the parable of leaven, um, the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, um, the dragnet, the householder. And then after teaching, um, it's interesting, it says that all those parables, Jesus is rejected there in Nazareth. And it says, when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, you know, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James and, and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters. Are they not all with us? Hey, isn't this a guy that grew up in our hood? And that's his family. His parents were, you know, dad was a carpenter. and They're just one of us. Where then did this man get all of these things? Imagine what it would be like to be raised around Jesus. He's gone and, and he comes back into your neighborhood and all of a sudden... The word is out that this, this miracle worker, this, this individual that says some amazing things is coming through your town. And you come and you're like, hey, isn't that, isn't that the guy that grew up on our street? And you're listening to him talk in these parables and say these amazing things that are just absolutely new and revolutionary and, and challenging to say the least. And it says, that they were like, where did he learn this stuff? Where did he pick this up? 
And so it says in verse 57, they were offended at him. And that's when Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Um, Now, he did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. And that's something to take to our heart today as well. Chapters 14 through 20, um, further ministry of the king. Um, He feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. Remember that story where he invites Peter to step out of the boat. Come on out into the deep. And um, and Peter does. Um, It's a storm and they see Jesus are freaked out. And and, and he's like, he's walking on water, man. And and Peter gets out of the boat. and, And of course, the wind was you know, just crazy, and, and he, he, he freaked out. He took his eyes off of the Lord. That's the lesson in that whole study, and he began to sink. Lord, save me. How many of you ever cried out, Lord, save me? <laughs> That's Peter. We're very Peter-like in those moments. It's a good thing. Um, and immediately, when he cried out, the Lord stretched out his hand. That's a word for us tonight as well. And he also said, oh, you of little faith, you know, why did you um, doubt But when the rest of the disciples saw him do that, and he ceased the wind, it says they began to worship um, Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son uh, of God. And so um, when they crossed over, they're going to come to um, Gennesaret, uh, the area of the the Gadarenes. And, um, and, And when they do, there's the other gospel accounts talk about the man of Gadara, the man that um, was demon-possessed in the deliverance there, but it, it, Matthew focuses on just this mass of people that begin to come around him, and, um, and they brought all their sick to him, and they begged him that they might only just touch the hem of uh, his garment. And when we get into that, um, I believe that stretch of Jesus' life, um, we begin to understand just how wearying and, and taxing um, ministry was on him. Um, ministry alone, just loving on people and teaching people and healing people, let alone dealing with the opposition and the rejection of his own people and the religious leaders and the challenging of all of that. Chapter 15, they'll get into all these debating of traditions with Jesus. He will continue to minister. Um, chapter 16, they'll move up north again, a little higher, up into Caesarea Philippi. And um, I would label that section the, the revelation of the king because that's where Jesus asks, um, Peter, what, do, what are people saying that I am? Who do they say that I am? And it was a, a setup question for another question. Um, yeah, some say Elijah, John the Baptist, come back from the dead, all that. But personally, who do you say that I am? And Peter got it right. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living um, God. And Jesus goes on to, yep, right on. Well, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And um, you are Petra, or Petras, a little stone. And upon um, this church, Petra, the big rock, I will build my church. I'm going to build my church. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago. It's going to be those that make that confession of faith and the gates of hell um, will not prevail against it. And he talked about how he's going to give Peter um, the keys. And we, we talked about that through the book of Acts, that um, keys to the kingdom. 
and how God had used Peter to open the door up uh, for um, Jews to know um, Jesus as their Savior and also Gentiles um, later on. But following Peter's confession of faith, um, it says from that time forward, so as you're up in Caesarea Philippi, from that time forward, the focal point begins to be on Jerusalem and that focal point in Jerusalem is the cross. From that time on, Jesus began to show the disciples um, how he's got to go to Jerusalem and suffer um, many things um, from the chief priests and the elders be killed and be raised on the third day. And you would think that would be like a very sobering moment for the disciples, but it's at that time that Peter um, takes Jesus off to the side and, and rebukes him. <laughs> um, foolish Peter. Um, far be this from you that this would happen to you. Um, and that's when Jesus had to set Peter straight one of the many times. You know, get behind me, Satan, for you are not, you know, you're offense to me and you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. Um, before Jesus comes down to Jerusalem, that final trip goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Hermon there, and um, is transfigured before them. And when he comes down in um, chapter 17, there's the second time that he mentions his going to the cross. He's going to be betrayed, be killed. The third days later, three days later, he'd be raised up. And it says that they were sorrowful. Um, chapter 18, following Jesus saying that, the disciples come to him and begin to talk about, hey, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I'm sure he's just scratching his head going, these guys are not getting it. But um, <laughs> that's when he called a little child in, in the midst. What a great visual that must have been and how convicting that must have been. And they began to connect the dots. Unless you are converted and you become like a little child, completely dependent on me, you'll know my means even enter into um, the kingdom of heaven. But then, uh, I'm sorry, chapter... Uh, 19, we move forward. Uh, I, I believe that's where the transfiguration is. And um, he teaches on divorce with a rich young ruler. Chapter 20, the third mention of the cross. Very detailed description of the cross this time. I'm going to go. The son of man will be betrayed by the chief priest. They're going to condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles, mock him and scourge him and crucify him. And again, on the third day, he will... Um, raise from the dead. 21, we'll be there um, on Sunday morning, actually, the triumphal entry, um, the beginning of Jesus' final week, as we will pick up uh, on Passion Week. Um, chapter 24, um, there's just a, a focal point of Jesus up on the Mount of Olives. It's the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, a lot of uh, prophecy there, um, great message, um, the parable of the ten virgins as well, Matthew chapter 25 uh, as well. We're going to talk about um, Matthew chapter 24 a lot when we're going through our Revelation studies. Um, chapter 26, that's when the religious leaders begin to plot to kill Jesus. Um, Mary's going to anoint Jesus. Judas will betray Jesus. Um, Jesus will say to his disciples, go prepare the Passover. 
Um, and um, we will have a Seder service here, a Passover service on Wednesday night, a week from tonight, um, reenacting what it was like to sit down with Jesus uh, from the perspective of the disciple. Um, that same chapter gives us Peter's denial. It gives us um, the Garden of Gethsemane. It gives us Jesus' arrest. It gives us the account of Jesus being taken over to Caiaphas. Um, and false witnesses are brought um, as well. Chapter 27 moves into <coughs> Jesus being brought before Pilate, the scourging, being led away to Calvary, crucified, the burial, and then we come to chapter 28, which we will be at a week from this Sunday, and there is an empty tomb. Amen? Amen? So there is a summary <laughs> of the book of Matthew. It ends with the Great Commission, um, where Jesus says, guys, look what you've seen. Look what you've heard. Didn't say that. But he says... All authority has been given to me, both on heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples yourself now. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all, even to the end of this age. Church, we've been doing this for 35 years. We've been living out the Great Commission. And until he, until he comes home and comes back and takes us home, may we be faithful to live that out. Amen? All right. Well, let's all stand. Is Mead, where's Mido? You want to lead us in the closing song? Why is he coming up? I thought we should pray for um, just those families um, in Tennessee that... Um, Unthinkable act at a, at a at a Christian school, a church, and um, today as well we had a family come in. You might have heard that a um, a young paramedic was killed on a motorcycle here in La Habra um, a couple nights ago, and um, the family reached out to us. We met with them today, um, the Rodriguez family. So let's let's lift up let's lift up these folks, Lord. Uh, Thank you again for your word. We're excited to go through um, the book of Matthew. But as we close out, we want to we pray for these, and these parents. Um, even the pastor of the church lost his daughter. And it, it just breaks our heart um, to see these young kids, three, three young babies, man, just nine years old. Can't imagine what their parents and and, and grandparents are going through as a got a call today even someone at our church is related to one of the families and just asking for prayer and so we're uh, praying um, for that family and their child came home to them fortunately but her her best friends were did not and we pray for the the moms and the dads the brothers sisters and aunts uncles grandparents Lord, hold them close. Bring them peace. Take away that ache. You're the God of all comfort, Lord. Comfort them, we pray. Can't imagine the staff, the faculty, 
the community and the healing that needs to happen. Uh, we pray that you would be sought and found. And Lord, as we watch people give their take on all of this, we know that there is a real enemy and we know that he takes people captive to do his will. We know that he is a murderer and that he is a liar. And we know that the answer to um, these heinous acts and the problems of America and the problems of our world, the answers are not found in new legislation or new legislators. The answer is found in you. And so we pray for these people in Tennessee and throughout America and the world that are focusing on this, that um, wherever they're trying to figure it out and cast blame and whatnot, Lord, we pray that Christians and pastors and leaders, God-fearing people would platform you in this conversation, that you are the answer, you are the hope that we need. We pray for the Rodriguez family, um, a mother just so distraught today, in with her three other sons. Loved their brother, loved her son deeply. Um, didn't know him. It sounds like a, just an amazing servant, an amazing young man, just, just graduating from the academy. And on that very day, he would it seemingly, the same day, lose his life. And... Um, Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, that when these people reach out, that there are people in our community that pointed them to us, knowing that our heart and our church would be open to them because you and your arms are extended to them. And Lord, just use this as difficult as it's going to be. Use this and use us to love on this family and, and to... Help them find you and walk with you and, 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 and find strength in you through this very difficult season. Thank you for um, every Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night over these 35 years that you've given us. And I don't know why we feel like we need to call it a relaunch or something fresh, but you put that on our heart and... We, we are excited about just going about it a little bit different and, and um, just allowing other people even to teach and to, to use their gifts and others in the children's ministry and the servants here just to really um, see you do something new as you grab a hold of, of hearts. And um, may we be excited to learn more about you as our king. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus.